It's great to be together on Mother's Day, and I hope the moms in the room have uh, already been spoiled. Uh, maybe some breakfast in bed, maybe a phone call, maybe an email with little puppets dancing uh, on it. I don't know. But uh, if not, uh, I pray that you get spoiled today by the fellowship and by all that we're doing together. Uh, we're going to celebrate in our message today a little bit more about moms. So you can be turning your Bible to Genesis chapter 3. Genesis chapter 3. We'll be getting there in just a minute. You know, some kids were asked if they could have anything in the world delivered to their mom on Mother's Day, uh, what would it be? And uh, one little girl named Sage uh, drew a picture, uh, age nine. She said, well, I invented a special calculator and I want to deliver it to my mom on Mother's Day. She was sort of imagining. She says, all you have to do on this calculator is type in how much money you need and then it prints it out for you. This way, my mom would always have enough money for camp and taxes and everything else forever. If she was in our congregation, we've been raising money for camp, so she'd be okay, right? We've raised thousands of dollars with cookies and other uh, neat things that we've been baking. But yes, camp and taxes. Uh, I thought that was cute. And then another girl uh, named Talia, uh, age 11. Uh, my daughter's named Talia. I don't think she drew this, but I haven't asked her yet. Uh, it says, she says, if I were to have one thing show up at our front door on Mother's Day, it would be the entire cast of Hamilton. <clears throat> and she writes, I would choose that because, duh, who wouldn't want to see Hamilton and meet the cast for free on Mother's Day? And then uh, she uh, later writes, also, this is not just for me. It really is for my mom, mostly. <laughs> mostly. Uh, one mom told her kids, you know, what I want on Mother's Day is to be pampered. And so they bought her a box of diapers. <laughs> I hope we do better today. Uh, moms are amazing. There are actually uh, over two billion moms on the planet right now. And believe it or not, there are 4.3 babies born each second. There's another one. There's another one. And another one. It's a little overwhelming. Uh, in doing some research about this, uh, both the special day and how moms are special, I learned that 88% of all laundry is done by moms. That's 330 loads, 5,300 pieces of clothing cleaned per mom as an average. Believe it or not, mom's least favorite thing to do around the house is not cleaning laundry, but you want to guess it? It's vacuuming. Vacuuming. I don't know why. Um, one mom, very special mom, in the year 1725, gets the award for having the most children. You want to guess how many kids she had? 23? Four, did I hear 40? 28? Okay. Well, she's from Russia. And uh, Mrs. Fyodor Vasilyev, between the years of 1725 and 1765, 
gave birth to 69 children. I corroborated with at least three different places to make sure I got the right information. You can look her up. She's quite a special mom and I've got some Russian nesting dolls on the screen to, to give her honor. Uh, the first Mother's Day was May 10, 1908, founded by Anna Jarvis and eventually made a national holiday by President Wilson in 1914. And it is the busiest phone day in the year. And 68% uh, of people plan to call their mom on Mother's Day, totaling about 122.5 million phone calls that are happening uh, for the rest of the day. And I love what uh, Gandhi said. It may be possible to gild pure gold, but who can make their mother more beautiful? So today we wanna honor moms, and one of the ways we wanna do that is we wanna go back to the very first mom in Genesis chapter three, and that's Eve. So let's turn there and open our Bibles or look on with someone. Uh, Genesis chapter three. We're just gonna read a few uh, short passages out of Genesis three and Genesis four today and uh, learn about Eve. You know, Eve may get a bad reputation for eating the forbidden fruit, but I believe there's a lot to learn from this original first lady, okay? So Genesis 3.20 says, Adam named his wife Eve because she would become the mother of all the living. It's quite a title right there, right? No pressure, Eve. Mother of all the living. You know, uh, genetics experts have traced the most common human ancestor back to East Africa near the Fertile Crescent between the Tigris and the Euphrates, about where they uh, think Eden is. And in human genetics, this discovery was made about basically the remains of a woman about 200,000 years old. They're still trying to figure out how old she is. But she is the most recent woman from whom all living humans descend in an unbroken line purely through the mothers and through the mothers of those mothers back until all lines converge on one woman. And you wanna know what all these scientists wanna name this woman? Her name is Eve, absolutely. And you know, it's interesting because when we look at Eve of the Bible, she's actually first called something else. I would say she has two names. First, she's called a woman and then she's called Eve. If you think about it, woman means companion, uh, in the original Hebrew, uh, partner, companion, uh, all these different words, basically that's what it means. And then Eve is something different. Uh, this is the mother of the living, as was just said, sort of the key to the future. And so as I think about these two names, I think about uh, the two reasons for these two names. I think, well, she has a purpose and she has a mission. Her purpose was to partner with man, to be a team with him, and to be able to exist in this earth as partners with him. The mission was to continue humanity's legacy, to continue on with progeny, with kin, with children. And I think about it in relation to us. You know, we have a purpose and we have a mission. If you look at Matthew 22, 37, it talks about how our purpose in life is to love God, to partner with God with all of our mind, soul, strength, and heart, right? 
And so we have this great purpose. The reason we exist is to partner with God. But then we have this mission. And if you continue reading that, you know, the second law is like the first to love our neighbors as we love ourselves. Right. To love God and to love others. And so if we have a purpose to partner with God, our mission is to continue the legacy of faith from God and to help make more disciples of Jesus. Right. So our purpose and our mission. I believe moms have an incredible way of focusing on their mission, no matter what happens. And it doesn't seem to matter what the, the kid grows up to be, uh, how important they become, uh, how much they accomplish. But mom is still mom. And uh, there's an interesting story uh, by uh, this man named Stephen Chu. He's a brilliant scientist and a physicist, also a former U.S. Secretary of Energy. And uh, basically, he figured out how to trap atoms with lasers. He's cool, right? And so they decided to give him a Nobel Prize for his work in physics. And so he tells the story how he called his mom on the day that they announced that he'd won the Nobel Prize. And her response was, that's nice, son. When are you coming to see me next? <laughs> mom is still mom. No matter what you've done, no matter what you've accomplished. And we have much to learn from moms. In Genesis chapter 3, in verse 16, just a few verses earlier, uh, to the woman he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. You know, this is a part of uh, what some have called the curse as Adam and Eve uh, sinned and ate the forbidden fruit. And Adam had his punishment, and uh, people have argued that this is, is hers. And uh, I would call it the burden of the mission, this pain. I remember a mom told my wife uh, when she was feeling the pains of the first trimester of her first child, uh, that's when you really know that you're a mom, when you start feeling those pains, when you start feeling that connection. And there's a lot of different ways that we can go with this and think about this and talk about this. One of the things I thought about is, you know, I started thinking about all the things that God has allowed me to accomplish uh, in my life so far. Uh, things that I've worked hard for, things that I've uh, suffered for, things that he has shown me. And I, I look at those, you call them accomplishments or successes or relational victories or personal triumphs. And none of them have come without pain. None of them have come without a cost. We learn to persevere through these challenges. And I even think about this analogy of bearing spiritual fruit. You know, bearing spiritual fruit can also be very painful when we're trying to help others to know God. We feel the pain of their struggle. And sometimes we try to help people to make that decision. And as I was talking with uh, one of the men uh, earlier, even before church started, no one can force anyone to do anything. It's on our own that we make choices whether or not to accept God. And we pray and we, we pray and we cry and we try to do whatever we can to help our loved ones, help people that we know to make that decision to have a faith in God. And sometimes they don't. Sometimes they have it and they lose it. And we feel the pain of that. But we believe the pain is worth bearing because of the triumph that we know is possible and the hope that people can have of heaven. Amen? Now, the pains of childbearing, I don't think they end after giving birth. Uh, although there are great joys in raising children, Leslie has alluded to some of the pains of raising children. And uh, I believe there's a parenting burden that aches throughout life 
uh, as we uh, go on with our kids. You know, there's a story one early morning, a lady went in to wake up her son and uh, she said, you know, wake up, son, it's time to go to school. But the son says, uh, but why, mom? I don't want to go. And the mom says, well, give me two reasons why you don't want to go. And the son says, well, the kids hate me and the teachers hate me. There's your two reasons. And mom says, oh, that's not true. Now, come on, get ready. Let's go to school. And the son says, well, you give me two reasons why I should go to school. And mom says, well, for one, you're 52 years old. And for another, you're the principal. So get up and go to school. As we establish, no matter how old the kids get, mom is still mom. And moms hurt when their kids hurt. Moms are rejected when their kids are rejected. When they're betrayed or disappointed or fail or fall, moms, I believe, feel that in a stinging way. They feel it acutely as if it was happening to her. You know, my mom wept uh, visibly on more than one occasion. She probably wept a lot more when I wasn't paying attention. Uh, but because of me, she wept for me. Uh, because of my self-destructive behavior, uh, for the times that I felt the pains of growing up, and uh, she felt like that was in direct pain and affront to her as well. I think at times I would look at her crying for me, and I thought, she feels this, and I don't. She feels the pain I think I'm supposed to be feeling about my trespasses. And of course, I look back and I was both dumb and very numb. And she was full of empathy and never judgment. And I'm grateful for my mom. She never stopped praying for me. Uh, she would put scriptures on my desk, uh, in my drawer. Uh, she knew eventually I'd have to get socks or underwear. So there'd be scriptures on three by five cards there waiting for me. Um, when I went off to college and uh, sometimes I'd come back and visit, she'd figure out a way to put little scriptures and little love notes uh, in my luggage, in my duffel bag, in my backpack. Uh, sometimes it would take me weeks to find them and I'd be going through looking for something frantically and there'd be this little note from my mom with a little calligraphy and little hearts and emojis before emojis existed in the digital world. And I'm forever grateful, even though I have to admit and painfully admit that at many times I would see those familiar scriptures and before reading them, crumple them up and throw them away. Because I didn't get it. But it wouldn't stop her. And I think of a quote from Abraham Lincoln. He said, I remember my mother's prayers. And they have followed me. And they have clung to me all my life. All that I am and hope to be, I owe to my angel mother. And I feel so similarly to our former president. In Genesis 4, in verse 1, Adam lay with his wife Eve and she became pregnant, gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother Abel. I love this line where Eve sort of prays out, with the help of the Lord. We can skip it if we're not paying attention to the text. Eve's conviction is that she can't do things without God. She's the first woman. She's empowered. She is all those things. She is Eve. She is mother. But she depends on God for her strength. 
I think it's a powerful lesson for us all. That no matter how much you can do on your own, how much you've accomplished, how smart you are, how strong you are, only with the help of God will you be truly satisfied and truly successful. We learn this from Eve, this powerful lesson. And then in verse uh, 25, after the terrible story of Cain and Abel, and we've heard that story before, but we're focusing on Mama Eve right now. But it says that she gave birth to a son and named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel since Cain has killed him. You know, again, something that we can quickly skim over if we're not being careful. Let's try to imagine some of the grief that Eve must have felt in the moment that she heard that her older son has murdered her younger. You know, it's bad enough to have one of those things. To have a son who's a murderer or to have a son who's died or a son who's murdered. To have both must have been devastating for Eve. The beginning of this legacy of humanity. You know, already they probably feel all this shame and guilt from having been kicked out of paradise, having made that ultimate trespass. And then they decide that they're not going to sit in bitterness. They're not going to sit in lament. They're going to raise their kids honoring God. And that's why you see Cain and Abel giving a sacrifice to God. So they're contributing and they have faith and they're teaching their kids about honoring the Lord. And then this happens. You know, already losing paradise, losing perfection. And then this. You can imagine the pain of a mother going through this. Some of us have felt deep parental pain. Some of us, as Al talked about earlier, are missing our moms today because they have passed or we've never known them. And I believe Eve can relate to that feeling. Might have been the first human to relate to that kind of deep familial hurt and struggle. And she can relate. And we imagine that in Eve, maybe that pain didn't go away. But what do we see here in this passage? We see that she has learned somehow to accept that this is her reality. That one of her kids has murdered the other. And she decides, I'm not going to let it ruin my faith. And we got to honor her for that because that's hard. To decide that something so tragic and something that she could blame herself for, she rises above and says, I am still going to be faithful. I am not going to sit in bitterness. I might lament. I might feel it. I might never not know a day of painlessness because of what happened. But I will continue to serve God, honor him, pray to him, and count this next child as a gift. And that's what that name means. Seth means granted or gifted. That she looked at God and said, thank you for giving me another son. That's hard. That is not easy. And we honor her for that. She could be cursing God, cursing Adam, cursing life. I don't want any more sons. How about a daughter? But she's not cursing, she's blessing from a pure and grateful heart. You know, we read uh, all kinds of statistics about uh, things that happen, tragedies that happen. And uh, a woman named Shirley Murphy the University of Washington, she tracked 271 bereaved couples, couples who had lost children over a 25-year span. Because a lot of people say that this kind of tragedy destroys a relationship. Sometimes that happens. 
But Murphy studied these almost 300 couples and she disproved a lot of what these so-called experts had said. Out of those 271, only a handful broke up in their relationship. Most decided not only to stay together, but became stronger and more bonded. And when asked, how do these couples survive? She said, well, they write a new chapter into their joint story. They build this disruption into their narrative. She said, really, it's about forgiveness, whether it's themselves or others. Forgiveness reminded me of the Broadway show Hamilton, as little Talia had uh, drew up earlier. And uh, those of us who are familiar either with the Hamilton story or the show know that this couple, they mourn the loss of their son, who's murdered, Philip, and have to figure out a way to go on. And uh, in the musical, the Hamiltons are mourning and singing the song about forgiveness. Um, the show doesn't actually tell us this bit of information, but before Philip's death, Eliza Hamilton was pregnant with their sixth child when she read the newspaper's coverage of her husband's infidelity. So she had heard a rumor, but she confirmed the rumor that her husband was cheating on her because it came out in all the papers. So she finds out about that, that and then she finds out that her firstborn son has been murdered in a duel. When she asks why, what happened? Well, Philip was defending his father's honor and that's why he got into the duel and got murdered. So put yourself in the place of this mom. Six children, cheated on, firstborn died defending the so-called honor of her illustrious husband. And the word is repeated in the song, this is unimaginable. But she forgives. We read many of the things she wrote. She perseveres. As I said in the musical, she writes herself back in the narrative. And even after Alexander's death and the duel with Aaron Burr, she continues his legacy. She pays off his debts. She defends his name in the papers when he's attacked. She starts and directs an orphanage, perseveres in all her husband's writings, finds a way to publish her husband's writings. And Eliza even wore a small package around her neck containing a sonnet, a poem that Alexander had written her when they were newly married. Now she died at the age of 97. And she, as she wished, was buried right next to her husband, Alexander Hamilton, and her sister, Angelica. You know, when a mom exudes such amazing grace, uh, grace that astounds and grace that makes no sense, the world stops to listen. And Eve is literally the mother of this kind of character. Best-selling author Bruce Feiler writes, and that may be her greatest lesson of all. Whatever you think of what Eve did in the Garden of Eden, once she left, she embodied the qualities of faithfulness, resilience, and dedication that are considered the hallmarks of modern motherhood. 
Today, as we cast about for role models, we should not lose sight of her singular contribution. The very first mother was a pretty good mother after all, and it's time she got her due. You know, in Genesis chapter four, verse 26, it says, at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. This is right after Eve has given birth to Seth and has thanked God for giving birth to another son. Now, commentators will say this and that, but this is verse 26 and that is verse 25. And I think there's a correlation. I think there's a correlation to seeing the ultimate mom say with all confidence, God, I believe you're in control. God, I believe that you have allowed these things to happen in my life for a reason. God, I trust you. God, I have all reason to feel ashamed and bitter, but I've decided to overcome it in faith. And so I give you the glory for everything good and bad that's happened in my life. May I be an example. And the very next verse says, and at that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Yes, I think there's a correlation. Yes, I think that people saw her incredible courage and faith and decided to imitate that. I think moms have been said to be even more determined in their mission nature when it comes down to handing their faith off to their children. There's a man by the name of George Gallup. You might have heard of the Gallup surveys that are done all the time. We read them in the newspapers. And he notices this pattern. He says, over seven decades of scientific polling and church membership, figures indicate that it probably existed for many decades prior to the advent of survey research in the mid-1930s. Though organized religions have discriminated against women for centuries, women are now, mothers are now, propping up religion and holding its future in their hands. They're singularly determined. Moms in statistics of handing a legacy of faith to their kids. They have forgiven the hands that have treated them terribly in the past and have instead looked to lift up the Lord. You know, I think about this. Without moms in the Bible like Eve and Sarah and Jacobed and Rebecca and Hannah and Naomi and Elizabeth and Mary and all the rest, we may not even have a legacy of faith to hand on. And then I think of moms like Leslie, Arlene and Glenya and Carla and Karen and Irene and Gail and Gloria and Martina and Lakeitha and Glenda and Wendy and Emily and Tran and Olivia and Marjorie and Charlotte and Evelyn and Karina and Virginia and Gia and Millie and Tanisha and Rebecca and Maki and Ligia and Shaniqua and Deanne and all the rest that I've missed today. I'm sorry if I did, but I think I got most of them. And all of our mothers in here and upstairs and all of our grandmothers and moms that gave us birth. And yes, all their sins and all, they ate the fruit just like we did. But guess what? Because of them, because of you, we have a faith and we're able to have something to pass on to our next generation. Let's honor and imitate the qualities of our mother Eve. Amen? She stayed mission-minded. She bounced back. She relied on God. And mostly she gave forgiveness freely. No charge, a generous gift that she received from God first. We have much to celebrate today. Happy Mother's Day to all.